Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. So let's start with our first reading, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 to 20, which is on page 8 of the church Bible, so it'll be right at the beginning of your Bible. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was uh, the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, "I know what a beautiful woman you are. Say, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, 'This is his wife.' Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake." and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman, and when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way, and his wife and everything he had. The second reading will be from Genesis chapter 13, verse 10 to 17. So just scroll a little bit further, or maybe flick the page. Uh, So chapter 13, verse 10 to 17. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zorah was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And our final reading is Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 to 24. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he rooted them, pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor-Lamur and the kings aligned with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shever, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. 
But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who were with me, to Anur, Eshikoi, and Mamre. Let them have their share. I'm going to pray. And, um, you know, our, our series is called Living by Promise. So we're going to think a lot about promises, God's promises for us, and how we live by faith in those promises. So that's the name of our, our series in Genesis. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. So let's get into it. And I'll, I'll pray for us. And so we can ask God to help us uh, hear his word and to apply it in our lives. Let's pray now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you uh, give us your word and your word is living. Your word is real and we can learn about you and know you through it. We, we pray, Lord, as we get through these uh, chapters in Genesis, this section of the Bible, Lord, that you'll uh, remind us about your goodness and your grace and your love for us. You remind us about your, that you are a God who is faithful to your promises and that we can learn from um, the, the failures and successes of, of Abraham and the other characters that we read about uh, in these chapters. I pray, Lord, that you will help us, you'll convict us, your spirit will be at work in us so that we can live out uh, your, your call for us to live out our faith, uh, knowing you are a faithful God. So we do pray for that now in your son's name. Amen. I want to ask you guys a question to start off. Who's heard about the new term? This is a new term. I think it's a new term called deep fakes. Have you guys heard of deep fakes? Let me school you on this a bit, because like, I've been learning about this, and um, it's really interesting because it's uh, this new thing that, I, okay, I'm going to admit to you, I have a TikTok account, just saying. I don't have screenshots, of, but there are these new accounts that are popping up on TikTok of celebrities that aren't real, right? Everything is, is it looks like doppelgangers, uh, but there are these videos that are entirely fake of people mimicking celebrities and it's all ai artificial intelligence it's all green screen it's and it and it's it's, it's all fake so there's like a, a fake tom cruise account there's a fake uh, margot robbie account if you have tiktok you can look it up or google it even you can google it and you can see the screenshots of it um but it's becoming harder and harder to identify what is real or not because the videos look so real these are called deep fakes now it's it's no wonder there are so many people who have trust issues today because there's, there's, you don't know what is real anymore, and especially on the internet. Uh, it, it's scary. It honestly scares me. It scares me what this could potentially lead to. You could send fake videos to people pretending you're someone else, and it's believable. Uh, it, and you can understand, right, this generation, our generation, it, we're creating a generation of people that increasingly have these trust issues, whether it's fake news or clickbait articles or all those makeup catfishing videos. Oh man, they're bad. Scam phone calls, text messages that you get saying, hey, you've won all this money or whatever it might be. As a society, we've become more and more skeptical, haven't we? Because the internet is causing us to be more distrusting. But even if you haven't been exposed to deep fakes or whatever the social media uh, new trend is, isn't it generally true the older we get? the more distrusting we become. <laughs> you know, honestly, you know, as, as a kids, right, as kids, we're, we're generally naive. We're generally trusting of people. It's why we have to teach our kids about stranger danger. Because children, you know, if you're offered candy, you, take, you know, it's, it's, it, you take it. It's, it's candy. Why wouldn't you? Grown-ups are meant to be trustworthy. But as you grow up and as you get more life experience, you, you, you realize, well, people actually disappoint you. 
People break promises. People let you down. People betray and hurt you. And you realize more and more it's harder to trust people. More and more we, we realize uh, we, we get more skeptical and we want to protect ourselves because really the only person you can trust is, well, it's yourself, isn't it? Isn't that generally true of us? It makes us uh, feel a little insecure, doesn't it, when, it when, when, when we're asked to give ourselves to others? It's why many people these days are scared to commit, commit to, to, to long-term relationships, to marriage. It, it's why we're afraid to be vulnerable with our friends, because we've experienced too much. We've experienced too much of, 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 of being hurt when we wanted to trust. And, and when I think about God, when, I'm not surprised that this is difficult for many people to trust him as well. What will it mean for us that lives in a world like today, that has deep fakes everywhere and all that sort of stuff, what will it mean for us in a world like ours to, to trust God, to live by his faith, to live by his promises? Is he trustworthy? Will I let him have the rule and lead, in every, and lead me in every part of my life? See, these three chapters are going to give us an idea on how we can uh, and why we should. And I'm going to unpack them, right, as, as three different scenes. And our goal today is to discover that when we fail to trust, we have a God who is good, a God who is trustworthy and calls us back again and again to live by faith and by his promises. A bit of context. Last week, uh, we had uh, Pastor Adam, he was up here from Melbourne. He was preaching for us on the first part of Abraham's life. Uh, a man just plucked out of obscu obscurity, really, chosen by God, given these promises. And these promises at the start of chapter 12 were to give uh, Abraham a, a people, lots of offspring. Uh, it's also uh, why, as um, Eunice said earlier at the beginning of our service, we also know him as Abraham. That means father of many. So Abraham, Abraham, same guy. Uh, the other promises include a land to live and flourish in. So, uh, so a place, the, the promised land that many people know it as. And lastly, to be blessed and a blessing to others. So uh, people, a place, and a blessing. We're going to keep coming back to those three promises those, that God has promised, that, those promises uh, as we go through the series. But keep your Bibles open because this is really important. We're going to unpack these verses, and I want you guys to see where I'm getting the information from in our Bibles uh, so you can hear how this is all going to tie together. Let's, last week we read verse 6, and verse 6 in chapter 12 said this, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Right. So he's in the land, the land of Canaan, that God has promised to give him. The promised land that his people, his offspring, will inherit. But what happens? This is our first scene. We're reading from verse 10 that was read for us. There was a, now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Right out the gate, what do we discover? Abraham fails to trust God. He's meant to be in the land that's promised to him. This will be given to you. But famine hits and fear overwhelms. The fear of, of survival leads him to travel instead to Egypt. And now as readers today, we'd totally understand his intentions, wouldn't we? Famine hits the land. You're struggling. Your family's starving. What do you do? You go where the food is. Down in Egypt. That's where the food is. They're doing really well down there. Right? So sure, let's go there. But but, but God says, stay here. Well, I want to survive. And right now, Egypt is where it's at. That's where the action is. Now, here's the thing. For us, that, that's understandable. But if you were one of the original listeners, the, one of the original readers of this, 
of this story, right? If, if you were around the campfire with your family and they were telling you about Abraham and you heard Abraham went down to Egypt, that's a huge no-no. Egypt was a place, right, that people, our people, Israel, became slaves under. Egypt is a place of wickedness. It, everything about Egypt is, is, is a place you don't want to go to. Later on in, the, uh, in our Bibles, in Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah chapter 31, it, 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 I'll just read it to you. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt, who put their trust in horses and chariots. And it says, But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Right? It's this common knowledge throughout the Old Testament that Egypt is a place where you don't go. It's a place where uh, God, uh, where where, it's a, where you're not trusting God. So this is what what we're being told. Abraham goes down to Egypt. He goes there instead of seeking help from the Lord. He goes to a land that's going to meet his current immediate needs. The fear of famine leads him to make that decision, which is really an outright failure to trust the promises of God, isn't it? Uh, it, it, it's his insurance policy. You can really see this like it's like a, a, a prenup almost. You know, like yeah, I trust you, God, but I'm gonna have this in my back pocket. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have this insurance because I'm not sure you're really gonna be faithful to what you say. I don't know if I can really trust you, but Egypt, they're gonna meet my needs now, so I'm gonna go down there. Come on now, Abraham. Right? It's it's not a good start. We're still in chapter twelve. He just got given these promises, and now he's he's left. He's he's, he's He's, he's gone down to Egypt. Verse 11, it amplifies a bit more. Here we go. It says, As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Sarai is like 65 years old at this point. But she's still smoking hot. Abraham knows that. It's like, hands down, you're a hot woman. I'm, you know, if we go down to Egypt, oh, they're going to be after you. So what am I going to do about this? What does he do? He throws her under the bus, doesn't he? Hey, tell them you're my sister. So it'll go well for me. He's intentionally deceptive. Why? So he can save his own butt. His fear leads him to this self-preservation, and he has no hesitation. And it seems... It's like, you know what? I'm going to hand my smoking hot wife over to another man. Not only is this like a diss to Sarai, it's a diss to God, isn't it? Because didn't God just say, I'm going to give you offspring in your line? I'm going to make you a great nation? He gives his wife over to another man. You've got to ask, what kind of guy is this? This Abraham, who has, who is this guy that God has chosen? chosen? I, in so many traditions and, and and even in, in later parts of the Bible, we'll often hear that Abraham is known as the father of faith. But is he the perfect model of faith? I mean, the reality is even Abraham failed in trusting God because of his fear, prioritizing his own welfare and self-preservation over the promises of God. He sees the famine and he takes matters into his own hands. He goes to Egypt, he goes to Egypt, and instead of protecting and honoring his wife, he hands her over and really sacrifices her to save himself. And not only to save himself, but when he does that, man, he gets, he gets tons of treasures, servants, livestock, you know, uh, camels and donkeys, all that sort of stuff. And his selfish act, Abraham is self-centered, uh, the self-centered act, he hands Sarai over to Pharaoh. And in doing so, he brings a curse upon Egypt too. And so there's all this collateral damage happening, right? I'm going to do this and everyone else is going to be, you know, punished for it. 
Sarah's going to be given over to another man. Egypt's going to have all these diseases thrown upon them. They suffer. It's true, isn't it? I mean, this isn't rocket science. We've seen, we've experienced. When our selfish, when we, when we're selfish, it often leads to hurting other people. It, it can lead to hurting other people around us. It's not cool, Abraham. And, and so Sarah, he's Sarah. She's handed back to Abraham at the end of this chapter, told to leave, and he's leaving now with all these accumulated treasures that he got because of deception. And that's our first scene. We're left with this bad taste in our mouth. Abraham, Abraham fails to trust God and His promises. He'd rather run in fear and act selfishly. So we, we got the start in this series where we're looking at Abraham and he's finding it hard to trust God. While Abraham fails, Abraham fails to be faithful because of fear, what we see in chapter 13 is his nephew Lot, right, L-O-T, Lot, failed to be faithful too. With the same heart of really self-preservation, he seeks after prosperity, failing to live by God's promises. Let's look at scene two. So chapter uh, 13 in our Bibles, what happens? Abraham, let me uh, just summarize. Abraham has amassed a lot of wealth now. He goes back to the land, to the land of Canaan, the promised land with his nephew. Now their tribes have become so big, uh, livestock, tents, uh, Abraham suggests to Lot, hey, let's part ways, let's settle somewhere in the land so we don't have to you know, quarrel amongst each other, so we have lots of space, right? So verse 8, Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Verse 9, is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Left, right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. You see, that's not the land that God promises his people. But to Lot, it looked good. It looked beautiful. It looked well watered, lush, luxurious by our standards, right? Comfortable, it's convenient, near the cities, on the plain, well watered, everything you need. It looks like a place of prosperity. A place where it'll be fruitful and flourishing, like the tree in the Garden of Eden. It's tempting, it looks good, it tastes good, it must be good. This is yours for the taking, Lot. And you wouldn't blame him, would you? I mean, I know I'm talking to a lot of guys uh, in our church, property is expensive these days. Take it. Oh, you got all this land. Lot, Abraham... Uh, what were we told first of all? Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, though, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Canaan is where the land of promise is, but Lot chooses to live away from that promise in a land where it looks like prosperity. You can't really blame him, can you? I mean, like, like any of us would, we choose with our eyes. It looks good, it looks promising, it'll add value to my life, it'll give me success and security and prosperity, and you can reach out and just take it. Take it for yourself. If that's on offer, wouldn't you? I mean, it's a no-brainer, of course. But what Lot doesn't realize is while the land might look good, it's not what God has promised. In fact, we're told the land is close to Sodom, right? That's, many of us have heard of the city of Sodom. It's, it's better known as, as the city of sin. And we'll get into the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah later in later chapters, in chapters, um, uh, uh, chapter 17 and 18, 19, actually. But we're told here it's full of wickedness. And Lot here, he's totally baited, isn't he? He sees with his eyes how, how good and promising it looks. So he puts down his deposit. This is where I'm going to pitch my tents and settle down. But we know something he doesn't. He hasn't really done his research, has he? Lot is blinded by the potential of prosperity, and he's not looking with eyes of faith. 
He's not looking to trust in God. He's buying his first house, and we all know it's scary when you buy your first house, isn't it? You've been looking around, you've been going to those open houses every Saturday, those auctions, you're getting a feel of, of the real estate, you're on realestate.com every single day. This house becomes available, it fits your budget. It looks so pretty, in a great, convenient location, accessible. So you sign the contract and you make it unconditional because you want to secure it. But we all know there's a problem with that. Like anyone who's bought a house knows you don't go unconditional, come on. You gotta get a property inspection, right? Put that in inspection clause in the contract. It might look good on the outside, but the property inspection, you know, that's gonna that's gonna find out what's going on with the house. Structurally, behind the wall the walls. Lot looks with his eyes and looks enticing. Oh wow, it looks really good. It meets all his hopes and, and his hopes of prosperity and success. But it's really gonna be more like living in Egypt than it is living in God's promised land, isn't it? You see, I think both Lot and Abram fail to trust God because they both have that underlying fear of insecurity. Lot chooses with his eyes. He, he sees, and he, and he sees prosperity. And like many of us, he's fallen into that false belief that riches and success will give him security. But let's be honest. Security found in possessions and, and wealth is, is fragile and fleeting at best. Worldly wealth and prosperity can't, can't give you that deep or eternal security our souls need. And so far, what have we seen? Scene one and scene two, both Abraham and Lot. They aren't so sure about God's promises, are they? They take matters into their own hands. Let's go to scene three, chapter 14. We're going to bring it all together. Abraham now starts to wisen up. He's taken the land that God promised to him. He's back in Canaan, uh, the land that, that probably isn't as attractive as where Lot is, but he chooses to live by promise, redeeming himself, really, of his actions back in Egypt, turning, up, you know, turning over a new leaf, that sort of thing. Quick snapshot, chapter 14, begins with a bunch of names. Kings and kingdoms. Uh, Elise had a good go at uh, reading some of those. Uh, there's this game I, I used to play when I was young. I don't know, some of you guys might still play it, called Age of Empires. You guys know that game? Oh, it's, it's such a fun game. Um, but the whole idea is you have to accumulate resources like wood and stone and gold, and you start building your little kingdom, and you start trading uh, and all that sort of stuff so you can build your, your empire up. That's why it's called the Age of Empires. Uh, and then you fight against other kingdoms, and you take their stuff, and you accumulate more, and you build up your empire more. And more. That's what's going on, really. So, well, that's the vibe I'm getting here, right? This, this time, Abraham's living during a time where civilization has developed. There are tribes and, and little kingdoms popping up across the Middle East. They all want more land, more resources, more people, like the, like the world of, 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 of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. You know, there's great armies coming together to battle it over Middle Earth. And it's the, uh, that's what's sort of going on here in the beginning of chapter 14. You can imagine these are more like barbarian kings, you know, fighting over land and fighting, trying to um, cap capture people as slaves and all that sort of stuff. But that's the vibe here in chapter 5. And I'm not going to attempt to read out all the, the names of the kings, but we're told four kings go up against five kings, and the four kings defeat the other five kings. That's what's happening in chapter 14. One of those defeated five kings is, is the king of Sodom. Guess who's living in Sodom? Our nephew Lot. He's there. He's captured. He's taken away. And word travels to Abraham. Abraham finally musters up some courage and goes, okay, I'm going to go protect my family. I'm going to go get Lot back. I'm going to look after him. Uh, really redeeming himself where he failed to protect uh, his family in chapter 12. Now in chapter 14, he's willing to go. He's willing to go to the front line of battle um, where, you know, where was his courage in chapter 12? Come on, Abraham. Um, but here we are. He's trusting God. He sees God is with him. He goes to battle. He suits up. He takes 318 men with him. Not 319, 318. Not 317, 318 men. We're not told much except that he defeats them. The battle's over pretty quick. He goes up against five armies. The battle of five armies. How does Abraham even defeat them? 
something that's only attributed to God's power with his people. God uses Abraham to show his might. Even though Abraham has failed in his faithfulness so far, Lot is rescued. What, as the reader, are we meant to see? Abraham redeems himself. He does what is righteous. He rescues and he protects his family, takes responsibility for them. While in chapter 12, he risked his wife's life, now he, put his own, now he puts his own life at risk, going into battle to rescue his nephew. This isn't about self-preservation, is it? In fact, it's really a reversal of what we see in Egypt. Instead of self-preservation, we see him self-sacrifice for the sake of his loved ones. He musters up this courage because he has chosen to live by faith in God's promises. When he knows the power of God, he can be courageous. He doesn't have to be afraid. God fights for him. He will go into battle knowing God protects him. Within these three chapters, we're seeing Abraham really grow up a bit, aren't we? From chapter 12 to chapter 14. And isn't this what the appearance of this, this kingly priest, this, this guy called Melchizedek, tells us? This stranger appears out of nowhere. like It's like a wild Pokemon appears, right? He gives Abraham a blessing. But he isn't just any wild Pokemon. He's the rarest of rare, legendary status, Melchizedek. In Hebrew 7, we're told about him uh, later on in the Bible. It's, he has no genealogy, no lineage. Who is this man? Well, his name gives us a hint. Melchizedek, it means king of righteousness. What is he king over? The, the city of Salem. It means peace. King of righteousness, king of peace. A king who's also a priest. That means he communes with God, the God of Abraham. And, and it's amazing. He shows up from out of nowhere. Abraham defeats uh, the, the five armies. He's walking along. Melchizedek, king of Salem, appears, appears brings, brings out bread and wine. And he blesses Abraham. And then he goes back to the king of Sodom. It's, it's strange, isn't it? He comes out of nowhere. He blesses Abraham. What does he say? Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. God protects Abraham. God fights for Abraham. God gives victory to Abraham. And along with the king of Salem, the king of Sodom shows up. And the king of Sodom offers Abraham so much more, doesn't he? More than just a blessing. He offers Abraham prosperity and riches. He says to Abraham, you won the war. Whatever you want, the spoils, it's yours. Take whatever your eyes, you set your eyes on. You defeated the five armies. For that, I'm going to make you a rich man, Abraham. I'll offer you the world. Oh, and it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you won the battle. You did all the hard work. Take it. All right? we, we know how that feels. You work overtime. You get the promotion, the bonuses. You deserve that. You worked the long hours. You hustled. Take it all, brother. But when we step back and think about it, we've got to think about who's the one offering this to him. It's the king of Sodom. Sodom, we know, is the, the, the city of sin, the city of wickedness. Oh, he sort of feels a bit dirty, doesn't it? Taking his dirty money. As Abraham says, yeah, yeah, no thanks. I'm not going to take that. Verse 22, Abraham has wisened up, hasn't he? He says to the king of Sodom, With raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. He's repeating the blessing, really, from, from Melchizedek. Verse 23, That I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you'll never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. Abraham wants none of it. And in this moment, Right? As we close out this section, we see a man who chooses really to not live by fear anymore, but, and not live by prosperity, but by promise. <coughs> he lives by promise, doesn't he? Because this God he trusts in is the God who is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who does provide a land for him, the one who loves and protects his people. 
and Abraham, although he is by no means perfect, sometimes fearful, sometimes insecure, much like all of us, he has learnt to trust that God's promises are trustworthy and he chooses to live by faith. You see, what's amazing within these three chapters is we see Abraham change, be sanctified. God doesn't give up on him when he fails. God gives him second chances to redeem himself. And even when he fails, God still blesses, God still protects, God's promises still stand. And so what's the lesson we're meant to take away from this today? I'm going to give us two things to leave with. The first one is get to know this God who calls us to trust him. Get to know our faithful God. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. We see that in his dealings with Abraham. It's not because of our faithfulness, our status, our privilege, our family of origin, or our good works. Our, we think about our world and it's generally transactional, isn't it? You do well, you deserve recognition. But God chooses to bless Abraham, to include him in his promises, simply because that's who God is. Abraham hasn't done anything to earn that right, that those promises, those blessings. But God is his creator. He loves, uh, he chooses to love Abraham and bless him. In the same way, he's our creator. He knows you and I. He invites us to know him, to know the blessings that come from his hand. He wants us to be brought under that promise of salvation and life. We have a generous and compassionate God. Think about it. Who are the people in your life that you trust? Maybe a parent, maybe a friend, a really good friend. Hopefully, hopefully you, you can trust your pastor. But the people you're thinking of right now, right? You're only able to trust them from your experiences. Because they've shown you they're worthy of it. They have your back through thick and thin. They will fight for you. They won't disappoint. They will be there for you. God already in these three chapters has shown us his character. He is a God of good. He's a God of provision. He secures the land for Abraham. He's a God of protection. He gives Abraham the victory to defeat the five armies. He makes promises and he fulfills his promises. But for us, even more so, don't we see so much more than what Abraham sees? So much more than what Lot sees. You know, he says to Abraham, lift up your eyes, see the land, north, south, east, west. This is all going to be yours. But what about us? Friends, lift up our eyes and see. See and know a God who fulfills his promises through his sacrifice, in the sacrifice of his son Jesus. We can receive every blessing, eternal life itself, because God made a way for us in love and grace. While Abraham was fearful, we have our Lord Jesus, who was faithful to God's promises in every way. While Lot was tempted, Jesus overcame temptation. While Abraham was about self-preservation, Jesus came and he self-sacrificed, laying down his own life, not just for his family, but for all the nations to be blessed. Jesus is the greater Abraham, isn't he? And, isn't he, and it's through him, sent by God the Father, that we can know God's blessing, that we can know God's character. The faithfulness of God has been revealed to us. When you've got that security, when you can see the runs on the board that God has, you know, that God ha does love us, that He is trustworthy, we see the cross of Christ, you don't need to be anxious about trusting God. You don't need to feel insecure or worried that God doesn't have your back. He's already shown us His character, that He's trustworthy because of what we see at the cross. And because of that security, we can live by His promises, we can live by faith. Now, I get it, there are people probably here in this room where you feel like you've been mistreated by God. You feel like God wasn't there for you at times. You feel like God has abandoned you at times. But let me encourage you. Let me keep pointing you back to the God of the Bible and see what he's accomplished for us. Look to the cross of Christ and see God fights for you. God has fought for you. God promises to always be with you. And even if life might be hard, 
that you will face trials of many kinds. Look to God and how Jesus has secured for you everything, not just for this life, but for the life to come as well, for eternity. See God's faithfulness to us in Jesus. Only, only then can you start living by faith, by his promises. And that's secondly, the second lesson. I think we can live by faith, not by sight. What will that look like? It looks like trusting God, even when it might go against the grain of, of society, when it might be countercultural, even if it might look like more self-sacrifice rather than self-preservation for the sake of Jesus. Even if the world offers you all the riches, all the beauty, all the protection and security, but calls you to forsake and give up worshipping our God, you can stand firm. Philippians 4.19 says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God will meet all your needs, friends. Why are we fearful and insecure? Why are we chasing after the things that our eyes see, the prosperity and successes before us? Friends, live by faith and not by sight. Trust him. Put your life in his hands. Let him lead and direct your path because in him every need will be met. Now in saying that, I understand, right? I've been around church circles for a while and then I've, I've talked to uh, non-Christians um, often, people who don't believe in Jesus. And I understand people are nervous to trust God because they're nervous of the church, of the people who make up the church. They're, they're nervous about the pastors and the leaders of the church who give God a bad name. And I know that happens in churches. People don't want to put their faith in God because of the church. I get that, and I pray that that will never be us or me. But as much as I want, as much as I'm, I, um, as much as I want to say that you can trust me, I'm still human. I'm still weak. I'm imperfect. But let me point you to God, and I want to keep pointing you to God. God is God is so good, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. That's wrong, right? He can't do anything that's wrong. He's trustworthy. He's He's good. Trust Him. And for those who have trust issues, how do we learn to trust again? I googled this, just how do we learn to trust again? And <laughs> I came across this Psychology Today article that talked about giving, one of the points was give a little and see what you get back. Right? Let yourself be a little bit vulnerable. Uh, some, some tips, ask for help from a stranger and see if you get any help. Get advice from a friend. Uh, keep your expectations low, essentially. But each time your needs are met, it's like a drop in your bucket of trust, with the goal to see that people actually mean well. Now, that's what the article says, at least. But that's interesting, isn't it? What if we were going to give ourselves a little bit to God, be a little bit vulnerable before God, start with a little? You know, where would that lead you? If you have trust issues with God, maybe it starts with praying a little, repenting a little, <laughs> to be a bit more selfless, to be a bit more generous, to be a bit more hospitable, to, to give yourself a bit bit by bit, over to God and to the people around you. I don't expect anyone to go from zero to 100. That's hard. It's hard to sustain that. But it's a constant life. It's a life of transformation. Abraham failed sometimes. We fail sometimes. But that ongoing repentance and obedience, giving God a little, day by day, and that trust that involves handing over our plans to him, our career, our finances, our time, our relationships, and bringing it all under his kingship, his reign, his authority. Friends, where would that lead you? It sounds scary to be vulnerable. Just that idea sounds scary. But to be vulnerable before God and to put our life in his hands, it will only lead to your good. And when we look at Genesis 14, we can keep, we, we, when we keep coming back to that, the victory that God gives Abraham, wow. He has safety, he has protection, he has provision. 
Let's keep looking to that, that God who gives victory to us, that he's secured victory for us at the cross of Christ. Eternal life is secured for you. Look at the gifts he gives, the new morning mercies we get on the daily. Oh yeah, it's scary to live by faith. It's so easy to live by sight. Like Abraham, Lot, fear and insecurity grips our hearts. We want to self-preserve, we want success, we want prosperity, and we want it today. The world offers so much, promises so much, and our friends, social media, our world, it looks so good. But we can't let ourselves be baited. Prosperity and everything the world offers is really just a false sense of security, a shallow comfort, a temporary sense of protection at best. But what if we live by promise? What if instead of chasing after status and riches as our goal, we chose to be generous with our time and our money, to love people and love God and live by faith? What if it's instead of chasing after love <coughs> and sex, <coughs> and instead of, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> instead of chasing after, <coughs> What if, what if we waited and trusted God's promises for us? What if, <clears throat> instead of obsessing over what people think about us, our looks, our in, <clears throat> thank you. We can't be blinded, can we, by what the world offers? The prosperity like Lot was. We can't live in fear and insecurity when we have a God who tells us and promises us so much. Live by God's promises. If we know God and know his character, you will see with eyes of truth and eyes of faith that what he offers us and what he can give us is infinitely better than anything this world can offer. So let me encourage you, live by faith, not by sight. Look to him, not to the world. Look to the cross of Christ. See that every promise has been met by God. If you don't know Jesus here today, I hope this message really strikes a chord because let's be honest. When we look to the world to meet our needs, we're always going to be left a little disappointed. We're always going to be left wanting and needing more. But when we look to Jesus, we can let him be our vision in life and see, see that the deep security, the lasting satisfaction, the great love our souls need, it's meant in him. Look to him, live by faith. You know, as I was reflecting on this world that we live in of, of artificial intelligence and deep fakes and all that sort of stuff, it makes me a bit nervous. Technology has the potential to do things that, we're really, that really messes with our trust issues. There was a movie that was released on uh, Apple TV in this last year called Swan Song. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see that, but it's about a man who's about to die from a terminal illness. He doesn't want to tell his wife. He doesn't want to upset her. He goes to this place where he can clone himself. And so he gets this clone that looks identical to him. And his brain is downloaded into the clone. Everything about him, his, his, his memories, his thoughts, his emotions, his habits, his personality is downloaded into the clone. So it's completely him in every way possible. I mean, it's whack, isn't it? But it allows him to die peacefully so that his wife doesn't have to worry. He can keep on living in this clone. I mean, what is real anymore? What is trustworthy? For all you know, I could be a hologram, right? A deep fake hologram that looks like Mikey, sounds like Mikey, but isn't really Mikey, right? What's real? In a world that's becoming more and more, I am me, in a world that is becoming more and more difficult to know what or who is trustworthy, let's see that we do have a creator who is good, who's promised to bless us. He promises eternal blessings, and he's met out every need in Christ. Will you walk by faith and not by sight? Will you look to God and live by his promises for you? Let's pray.
Father, help us to see your goodness and your faithfulness to us, that you are a God of promise who fulfills your promises, and we see that at the cross of Christ. Help us to live by that truth. Help us to be a people, Lord, who, uh, who, who declare those truths in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in our actions. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us by your Spirit to be a people who, who trust you, who know you, who want to live by faith because we know that nothing the world can offer is as good as what comes from your hand. Is as good as what we see at the cross of Christ. Help us to be a people, Lord, who, that where, we, where the cross is our vision in life. That where, where we fail and where we sometimes stuff up, we can get back uh, on the right path because we have a God who forgives us and loves us and calls us back to live by promise. Help us to be that people. In your son's name, amen.